Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Abundant Solutions Hour, where our goal is to help others be more, do more, and have more. I'm your host, Brian J. Henderson, and tonight, Greg is going to be out of pocket for a little while, but he'll be calling in and checking in with us soon, hopefully. Tonight, we have a wonderful show, and I hope that everybody's excited and and ready to hear what we have to talk about tonight. You know, we have a a very powerful young lady on tonight, and she has a story that I think is very compelling, and, you know, just an awesome story, an awesome testimony, you know, of just how you can make something from nothing. You know, a lot of people grow up in certain uh, societies, and they don't have a whole lot. You know, they grow up in poverty. They grow up impoverished, you know. Or maybe they even grow up in an area where there's not a whole lot of opportunity, you know. And somehow, some way, they find, you know, the means to pull themselves out of that bad situation. They pull themselves up out of, you know, of that life and make a new life for themselves. And they literally do it by using whatever you know, their God-given talents are. And so tonight, we're going to hear a little bit about that, about someone who's done that. And the thing about what she's done, it's completely, you know, you can duplicate it, you can replicate it. It wasn't that difficult. You know, you'll hear it tonight. Tonight's guest is April Mason. And... She's on the call with us now, and I'm going to go ahead and bring her in, since I don't have Greg to talk to right now. We're going to talk to April. April, are you there? Yes, I am, Brian. How are you this evening? Oh, I am blessed. I'm blessed. You know, I'm just sitting here, and I'm reading up. You know, you and I have talked in the past. You've been on our show before, actually. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'm reading some of the things that you sent uh, Greg on, you know, on our bulletin that we sent out. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even know all this stuff. (laughs) You know, and uh, if you don't mind, I want to read a little bit of it, but I want you to really tell people about who you are. Okay. It says, uh, who am I, you ask? We all have a purpose for being on this earth. And on June 26, 1975, (laughs) April Mason arrived on the scene to begin her part. There was no question she was special, gifted, and not a carbon copy of anyone. Although April was raised going to church and had many other things working in her favor, her life would take a few twists and turns that on the surface looked like they would stop her destiny, but in fact have developed her into the woman of wonders she is today. You know, I'm going to stop right there. Because I want you to tell us a little bit more about, you know, who April Mason is and the things that April Mason has gone through, you know, because I don't want everybody to think I'm just reading off a piece of paper and I'm just reading something that somebody wrote. I want them to hear it from your lips. Wow. Well, I am, you know, I tell people I, all the time, I tell them I am the poster child for Plan B. Meaning, whatever what worked for everybody growing up, were you good? You know, society says you grow up, 
you get a job, you know, you go to school, you get a job, you have a family, you know, you know, you know, the picket fence and all of that great stuff. You live happy, happily ever after. You have your four hundred one k and you get your pension, and you know, we we have all these things. Well, I I tell people I'm a poster child for Plan B. None of that worked for me, and you know, it, it hit me today. I was talking to, uh, I was mentoring to a young lady, and it hit me today that I remember growing up in church saying, man. I'm tired of hearing these old ladies tell me they say, baby, I didn't been through it too. I didn't been through it too. And just hold on and all this other stuff. And because I couldn't relate to them because they were so much more older than I am. I'm like, man, God, I ain't trying to hear that because they don't know. This is a different than age. But it hit me as I was talking to this young lady. I said, wow. I said, you know what? I said, God made me into what I wanted at, let's see how I should put it. God made me into what it is that I want, that I needed. Um, I made that into somebody else, meaning I complained about not having anybody of my age to say that they've been through some things and I saw them come out. Well, because of my, I don't have nobody, God made me that person, that person that I'm only 32 years old, but I've been through a lot. So I can, it's easier for someone to talk to me and say, you know what, I can, I believe that because it's not like I'm generations away, you know, like I don't. I don't understand it. I don't see what they're talking about, I, you know, because I'm right here in it. And I said, it, it just hit me today. And I'm like, God, oh, okay. I said, so pretty much you gave me what it was I was looking for when I came. You made me her. You you made me what I was looking for when I was coming up with as a child, somebody that I can relate to that just wasn't, you know, some old lady with the church hat on saying, baby, it's going to be all right. I said, so I went through a lot of things because of, because of you know, this. So um, it amazed me when that I got that revelation today, and it was just like, oh, my God. You know, and so you got to be careful, you know, what you say, you know, because there's others that were out there that were probably complaining you have the same complaint as me, you know, and I became that. I became her. But I grew up, you know, in a home where, you know, we went to church, you know, we knew about Jesus and all that great, great stuff. However, I was sheltered as a child, and mm-hmm. I didn't, my spirit was broken at the age of five when I was molested by my female babysitter and then on to um, be molested by my father and my, my stepfather as well as my biological father, cousins, and so on and so forth. So my spirit was broken at the age of five. When You know, when I'm supposed to be sitting there thinking about Barbie, I had a boyfriend, Brian, and um I'll never forget we were at kindergarten and, and we were arguing over the orange crayon. And he, we were arguing. I said, you know what? I quit you. What would I know about quitting somebody at five? That's just, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was on something, definitely on something else. You know, so, I, I, I want to stop you right there because it's something that you said. It was so profound. What would a five-year-old know about that? But right. nowadays, if you poll the average five-year-old, they can tell you about that and a whole lot more. Right, right. You and, know? you know, for, it, it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, uh, and, and, and then, you know, just what you're talking about, you know, and it's, any issue where a child is taken advantage of, you know, sexually, mentally, physically, whatever, you know, it that child is already put at a disadvantage. Mm-hmm. And then who would that who would that child be able to trust? Because here right. it is, like in your case, you're with someone who your family has trusted, mm-hmm. you know, to take care of you, and then they do something like that to you. 
Right. And then in turn, because you've already been violated, that's been put into your, you know, it's in, now it's in your system. You right. Know, I, I recall um, we had a guest on, and she talked about, you know, sex is like a chemical reaction in your body. Mm-hmm. And once that chemical reaction is, you know, it's almost like a drug. Where right. You, when, once you release those endorphins or whatever for that experience, you want that same experience again. And it's right. never the same. Nope. And so each time, you're going to have to do more and more, just like with drugs. You get a chemical reaction from drugs, and it makes you want to do more. But you'll never get the same experience unless you do more of it. Mm-hmm. And in in the same token, weaning yourself off of it is like the same way. You know, that's, so, it's very hard, too. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, here, here. <laughs> I totally agree with you. you know? It's very hard. And, um, you know, but I, I deal with children, you know, um, and when I talk to them about those type of things, you know, I, I always try to focus on abstinence. That's been my big thing. And um, also with uh, HIV prevention, for everybody that doesn't know, tomorrow is World AIDS Day. Go out, get tested. I had to plug that because that's very important, especially in the African-American community. You know, uh, I know here in the state of Florida, one out of 47 I believe that's what the number is. Mm-hmm. Uh, are infected, you know, and wow. one out of Don't be scared. Don't be scared number. to do it. I did it. I did it um, two months ago. I think. Matter of fact, right when I had my surgery, I had a surgery in July. Right, right. And I, I, and I, I you know, what are you doing, by the way? I am. You know what, Craig? I am in some heels, baby. I am doing fine. So <laughs> I got a scar, and I tell people, they say, "What about the scar?" I said, "I'll always want a scar." Because a scar means that I've healed. I don't want a Band-Aid. I want a scar. Uh, oh, I'm good. I'm doing well. I'm back. That's great. That's great. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour. We have on with us April Mason, the credit, the business credit lady. We're going to get into that in a little bit. But continue. Tell us more about your story. Well, like the growing up as a child, people would always ask me, you know, now that the story, you know, it's just now coming out, you know, God has kind of, dealt with me on forgiveness and, and moving forward, you know, forgetting those things which are behind. And and now I can really honestly and openly tell my story. Now, I've had a lot of people say, why didn't you tell somebody? Why didn't you, you know, go and let your mom and dad know? And, and my mom even told me, she said, April, you know what, growing up you were, um, you never wanted to smile. You was always standoffish. And, but the thing is I had to explain to her was you didn't know what I went through. I said my spirit was broken at five. So from five on up, My mind is not on child things. You know, I went on to have to deal with, you know, being um, violated by, you know, cousins and and things. And and I was introduced, I was telling someone I was introduced to masturbation in the third grade. I was introduced to uh, pornography in the third grade, Playboy magazine. I was introduced to all that very early. And the thing is, it was because of what happened to me at a young age, it was like I I was already mature enough to handle all that. It was like, okay. You know, that's what that is. And, I, you know, I've gotten – it caused me to get into relationships that I shouldn't have been in. I mean, I have been violated to the point, you know, domestic violence, you know, to the point to where you would not have even recognized my face. And it caused me to have low self-esteem. And then people would speak things over me. I remember – distinctly being in seventh grade and, and growing up in a family, we didn't, you know, our, my family didn't have a lot, so I always told them, y'all, I'm a guinea pig child. So, you know, everything that happened happened to me, and it, I just felt like, you know, why me? 
So I'll never forget, I never dressed like everybody else because we didn't have the money all the time. So I was kind of like considered welfare April, you know, that that, that girl. She, she always was a step behind everybody else. And, you know, I always never could seem to catch up. And I was in seventh grade, and a young lady said to me, we were having, we were doing a um, experiment with some acid, and I dropped mine. And it kind of splashed in the girl's eye, but nothing really serious. And the girl next to her looked at me with the nastiest look and said, it always has to be you. And at that point, that stuck with me all the way up into my adult life. So I always expected people to do me wrong. I always expected men to lie and cheat and steal. I always expected to um, be um, treated badly. It was like if something was too good, it was like, man, I already know, you know, the, the negative thought of, well, he can't love me, you know. He, okay, he got to have somebody on the side. Or this can't be happening to me. Okay, I would always think of the negative part, you know, that would happen. So those words were going to stick with me up into my adult life until I got to a point I was like, God, I don't know, you know, what to do. You know, why all, Why does it seem like all these bad things happen to me? And they were happening because I was allowing them to happen, you know, because that's what my mindset was. So growing up, I had a very, very tough um, childhood, and, you know, a lot of my family they didn't know because you figure you come from a household where everybody's in church. All my uncles are apostles, pastors. Um, my aunt's a prophetess and evangelist. My, you know, my other aunt, she, you know, she's been singing with the Hawkins for years. And so I come from a very, very spiritual background. And for people to know that, you would think that none of this would be going on. But it was the complete opposite. It was running rampant. You know, so, and that's that's something that that that's pretty intriguing because I know for um, well, not personally, but I know for a fact that a lot of things that go on in the black community are kind of swept under the table all the time. You know, we don't really want everybody knowing that um, you know Uncle Jesse slept with some little boys or right you know, Auntie. Sarah is loose, you know, right. or, or Uncle Fred is a wino, you know, or, right. you know, oh, mm-hmm. such and such, she had a baby when she was 15, but we gave it up for adoption. See, a lot of those things you don't find out till 25, 30 years later when Uncle Fred got cirrhosis of the liver, you know. <laughs> and, and, um, no, 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 you find out when Uncle Fred died. Right. And you, no, well, you know, even with that, you find out when, 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 when Auntie uh, Jesse or whoever, you know, she died of quote unquote cancer, mm-hmm. which is really HIV. You know, right, right. And so, right. a lot of the things you don't find out because we're so we're so worried about what somebody's gonna say, or we're so worried about how that's gonna affect your status in the community. You know, especially when it comes to a child. You know, they're always worried about well, I'm gonna look bad if somebody find out that. My husband, you know, touched my child. Or I look bad if somebody find out that um, that my my husband been sleeping with my stepdaughters. You know, so mm-hmm. we ain't gonna say nothing. We just gonna let it slide. Not right, realizing that that's already affected that child in ways unimaginable. You right. Know, and we want to blame the child. Right. I, I had to deal with that as well too. I had someone tell me, well. You were the one wearing low-cut shirts. and, and, mm-hmm. and Exactly. Shirts. But we don't I'm even like, know why that child is wearing those low-cut shirts. Right. Maybe it's because 
some little boy out there then told her, oh, girl, you look good in those low-cut shirts. You need to wear some. And because she doesn't have that father figure or that positive influence in her life because that positive influence or whoever that may be has already scarred her, she's going to look to whoever gives her the positive feedback. And that's what it was. Because the thing is, um, I became, I, I went through, you know, all through high school, you know, I, was, I mean, junior high school, I was teased and I was made fun of. And I mean, I, 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 mean, I have some horrendous, I was bullied. I can't imagine being bullied now, but I was bullied, you know, as a kid in this day and age. But I was bullied. I was talked about because I had to wear dresses every day, you know, and people really, really don't understand, you know, the things that they say. And I was hurt and, and going on to ninth grade, I'm thinking I'm getting away from my bullies, but the bullies ended up going to the same high school I was going to. And, and it was so funny that I just started saying, you know what, forget all this. I'm not going to school because if I go to school, I'm just going to get talked about anyway. Well, once I, you know, most kids go through the ugly stage. We all go through the, <laughs> the ugly stage. Well, 10th grade going to the 11th grade, I made a huge transfer, transformation, and I think that's when my problem started. I didn't. I no longer was. Oh, that's a. That's just. Oh, that's just April. I was no longer. That's just April anymore. My mom had, you know, let go of the ropes a little bit. I was able to wear pants and makeup and the whole nine. I came back a whole nother woman, and at that point, mm-hmm. and it was like, I know that's not April Mason, you know. And I'm matter of fact, a lot of my classmates that I went to school in California live here in Atlanta because they they left when they graduated. They came here and went to Morehouse and and to um, Clark. And I ran into some of them recently, and we were talking about it. And they were like, well, when you came back, it was like, oh, my God, who is this girl? Well, at that point, I had the attitude of, oh, y'all jokers wasn't paying no attention to me then. I got something for that. I didn't deal with anybody that was in high school at that point. Mm-hmm. So from there, I opened up a door to something else. I was immediately exposed to dealing with older men and exposed to doing things that I had no business doing. So my mentality and my maturity level was on something else. So a lot of people would say, you don't sound like you're 17. You don't, even now being 32, majority of my friends are in their late 30s, early 40s and up, and they forget that I'm only 32. But that all stems from, you know, what I went through. And I, I got out there and, and I, I started doing stuff that I had no business experimenting with this. And, and um, I write my book should be finished in February, Broken But Not Bound, The Making of Me. And I, I go to tell how I was introduced to real sex then. Oh, you went. You couldn't tell me nothing because it was just that's what it was going to be, and that's what I was learning because I was dealing with people that were a lot older than I was. Well, fast forward, and you know, my life kind of went kind of crazy. And and by the time I was eighteen, I had my first baby, and by the time I was twenty three, I had three. And people used to look at me with the ugliest look, like with disgust, like. She's just going to be another statistic. She's just going to be, you know, on welfare, sucking up the money off the system. You know, it, it was that type of thing, and I used to fight it, and I, I could feel it. But the, the thing is, even um, going back a little bit, when I was going through the times when I was being molested and things, the thing that I had to hold on to, and people kind of laugh, was Showtime at the Apollo. I used to watch Showtime at the Apollo every Saturday night. I would stay up to 1 o'clock in the morning. And watch it. And my, I love, forget the artist. I wanted to see the talent because that made me see that anybody can go after their, their dream. It motivated me to continue to push toward whatever it was that I wanted to do. And I didn't even know what it was at the time. But there was something, even 
going through all the the hate and and hating myself and hating other people and then going through being you know talked about and pretty much broken and destroyed, I felt like I'm going to do something real great. I don't know what it is, but it's something down in here. I don't know exactly how to tell you what it is, but I'm gonna do something real great. And I held on to that. And when I was 23, I'll never forget. People always ask me, "Do you have a role model?" I've never had a role model. I have a role image. And that image is I saw the, the woman with the business suit, with the briefcase, with her hair, you know, nicely done, with her makeup right, and she was just shining. And that's the image that I took on. At the age of 23, I said I will not be a statistic. I will not be, you know, a welfare mom for the rest of my life. I will not. So it's a choice you have to make. People, you know, say that, you know, our society, oh, you know, they need, they need pushing and they need, you know, somebody to guide them. Forget that. It's a decision that you have to make. It's a choice. I could have made the choice to say, you know what, I'm going to stay on welfare and, and I'm going to stay in, in the hood and I'm going to stay in the project. I could have made a decision to say that. So when people, when I watch TV and they try to make excuses for those that um, are less fortunate than others, to me that's nothing but that, an excuse, saying, well, you know, they try and try to me is nothing than um, failing gracefully. At least you can say you tried. Right. That's not acceptable to me. So even with three children, you know, no husband, you know, no formal, really formal education, I was like, man, forget this. I, I can't because I, I, it's something in me, and, and I, I got to get it out. From that point on, you know, I knew that, you know, I I started, you know, doing some things and trying to better myself. But what's funny is people don't know, I've been homeless. I've lived in the shelter. After going through my abusive relationship with um, my kid's father, I left that, that particular state and moved back home to California. Well, I moved to a shelter. I didn't have any place to go. Well, I had family, but you know, some you know how family is. Sometimes, you know, the kids, my kids were young at the time. They were like stair steps. My children are two years apart. So I moved back to California at 23 with a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a baby that wasn't even one yet mm-hmm. by myself. And I stayed with a family member for a little while, but I wanted peace, so I went to a shelter. And what amazed me was those people embraced me there. And they would always say, you don't look like a shelter girl. And I'm like, I ain't a shelter girl. So I, the thing is what, what really got me was um, when I was there, you know, I learned a lot. I met a lot of people, even the people that were drug addicts and, and they were prostitutes. It was like they saw something in me that wouldn't allow them to bring that around me, even though I was among them. They wouldn't. I mean, my kids, they started, you know, even though, like I said, they were drug addicts and stuff and they were recovering, they took to my children and they treated my children as if um, they were their own. Oh, if you got, I was like, I got a job interview. Well, we'll watch them. And I, I had enough trust in certain ones to say, you know, they're not going to harm my children. And it was because of that respect that they they had for me and what they saw in me. Even though I wasn't 100%, you know, in Christ like I should have been, it was something that was there. And they treated me differently. And they And I went on. I had applied for welfare, and I was sitting in the shelter, Brian, with $1,500 and, and some food stamps. Can you believe it? In the shelter, and everybody around there looking, looking hungry, and I'm sitting there with some cash in my pocket. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, I said, I got to do something. I needed a car. I took the money and bought a car. When I pulled up in the car, the ladies at the shelter, I mean, I, I got into tears. The ladies at the shelter, they came out, and they just started clapping because I had only been there maybe a month. And I'm like, why are you guys clapping? He said, wow, you inspired us. You only been, we've been here months and months, and some of us have been here years, and you went out and bought a car, and you just got here. 
And I said, well, yeah, I got to keep it moving. I got to, you know, I have a family. I have to keep it moving. And it was like they came out and they was like, well, let me check the tires. The guys on the other side of the shelter, they came and wanted to make sure I had to tune up. They took care of me. And sometimes, you know, people that you don't know will take care of you better yeah. than the people that you do know, your family. And family talked about me and, oh, she's not going to be much. You know, I don't expect much for her. But these people had embraced me because they saw something in me right. that I didn't even see. So from that point on, I moved on and, I, you know, I moved finally. You know, I got a good got a job and I got an apartment. Because my thing is you have to do whatever necessary. Mm-hmm. And after leaving the shelter, I went to a transitional house and I was only in the shelter. Between the shelter and transitional house, I was only there between from March to July. And I said, I got to do better. I got, and I kept pushing. I got to do better. I got to do better. And at that point, I got a job, and I was making $10 an hour. I was like, oh, my God. And I had one suit, one suit, my energy suit, my blue suit. And you know what, Brian? I got that suit to this day. And this was over 10 years ago, but I still have that suit. And I got the job, and I was like, God, I need an apartment. And, you know, God has started dealing with me on some issues, you know, and I'll never, the one thing that really let me know that God is God is when I saw an apartment, a two-bedroom townhouse for $475 a month in California. Mm-hmm. Now, I had left work early that day because I said, i got to get my kids. they got to have their own stuff. And I went to work early, I mean, left work early and took the bus, took the bus all the way because the little car, you know, I bought a little, it was a 1979 Daihatsu that I bought. So it maybe kind of went out a little bit. But um, you, you, <laughs> that's to be expected. <laughs> and she was an ugly green, but she was mine. That's all right. Um, and so I was, t- I was driving down, this, you know, I, I, was, I took the bus to, the, about this, uh, to see this apartment, and they told me at the property management company, oh, you have to have your own way to the house. I called a taxi and took a taxi, paid $20 for a taxi. When I got there, there was a there was plethora, you know, of people out there looking looking at this apartment. And I'm like, God, well, I really just started this job, but how am I going to get it? Well, what I did, God laid on my heart to write the management company a letter. I wrote them a, them a letter and told them everything, you know, that I was dealing with and, and you know, who I am and, and where I come from. People were there that had the money to pay to move in right then because you weren't getting a deal like that in California nowhere. They gave me the house, the, the townhouse, and I was blown away. So from that point, I just like, all right, keep it moving. And um, fast forwarding, you know, I was working in corporate America. I had three kids, and I was coming home when it was dark, leaving home when it was dark. And I said, I can't do this. I can't. And I just continued to push. And, I mean, I was pushing like nobody's business, you know, and because we have to do, you know, by any means necessary, whatever it takes to get you to where you need to be, you have to do it. And I believe, I tell people now that you are fighting for your destiny. You're not, you're not just, okay, I'm, I'm in Christ now and everything is just, you know, it's going to be okay and, you know, I might have a couple of bumps. No, you're literally fighting for your destiny. And what I didn't realize is that growing up I was dealing with uh, a lot of Satan's enemies, I mean Satan's um, imps and his demons. Why? Because they already saw what I was going to become, so they were fighting me left and right, and I didn't know what was going on, but I was still standing. Even even when I didn't understand, I was still standing. So they were trying to knock me out the box a long time ago before I even understood who I was and whose I was. Right. So once I, I, I understood that, I'm like, okay, y'all jokers been really trying to kiss a girl, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I, I know now. But I went on, you know, to, to do some things, and I was working, but I said, God, I can't do this. And then I had, you know, years down the line, I had lost my job, and things were going bad. And 
I'm like, God, I'm tired. So I left L.A. and went up to um, visit my mom in Oakland. And I said, God, I'm tired of this. What can I do that can generate an income for my family so I don't have to go out? you know, every day and not raise my children because I really didn't raise them as babies. They were in daycare since they were like four to six weeks old because I had to get back on the grind. I didn't have, you know, a husband. I didn't have, you know, I had help as far as, um, and I thank God for my family, my mom and my sisters and brothers. They, I could go anywhere I wanted to, you know, when I wanted to because I had my family, and they loved it. It wasn't like I dumped the kids off. My mom used to call me at 5 o'clock in the morning, and my dad, April, you bring the kids over? I'm like, can we wake up, please? Mm-hmm. So... I had that support system on that end, but it was something that was missing. And I'm like, okay, now what? And I'll never forget the year, the year was, the Christmas was 2000. Uh, I had prayed and asked God, no, it was 2001. I had prayed and asked God at Christmas when I went to visit my family, what is it that I can do to generate income for my family that I, so that I don't have to go out of my house because I'm tired? And you know, that same holiday vacation that I took, the idea, he gave me the idea to start a get back to business. And I'm like, man, no, that ain't my thing. I'm too much of a diva. You know, I, once I once I came into myself, my friends were like, April, out of all of us at 16, you were the only one that kept your hair and nails done and all that. So get back to me working with my hands. Oh, that wasn't going to be it. I'm like, all right, Jesus, I hear you, but I ain't listening. So <laughs> you can keep that. I'm not doing that. Well, oh, that was man. in December. March rolls around, and I get my kids Easter baskets like I normally do. And um, the, my neighbors, they were like, oh, my God, who did these Easter baskets? And I was like, I did. You know, I didn't think it was a big deal because my mom used to make ours. And I made, I don't know, I made about $200 <laughs> that, that Easter. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is cool. I, I can do this. Well, I went on to start my, my gift basket business with $50 from a welfare check. $50 and, from a welfare check. Yes. I want to I didn't pause have right now. quick and just let everybody know that you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, and we have on with us guest. Our guest tonight is April Mason. I'm still waiting on Greg. Hopefully he'll pick up the phone and call on in and chime in with us here. But um, <laughs> I'm actually chatting in the, uh, in the Blog Talk chat room, and... I put out there, you know, gift baskets. You started making mm-hmm. gift baskets, and one of a, one of the uh, the folks in the chat room says, "What?" <laughs> As if that was your big revelation, you know, gift baskets. Yeah, right. I, I, right. That, that was. It wasn't my revelation. <laughs> you, it, that, but I didn't want. That wasn't the thing I wanted to do. But. I went on to, you know, after after starting my gift business $50, I went on to get a better job. And it, it's so amazing how God will position you where he wants you to be. Normally we people say, I hate my job, I hate my job. But I like my job. Why? Because I, w- I worked at a wine company in Napa, California. And the thing was, they, a lot of their clients were gift basket companies. So it allowed me to find out more information about this industry. So I enjoyed going to work. So, but I'll never forget one of the, uh, when I really took this business seriously is when I brought the baskets to, to work and, you know, people saw them. And one lady came. She said, April, I need two baskets um, to send to my people in Texas. I said, okay. This was my really my first big order. So I'm like, yes. So I didn't know what to charge her. So I made her two big baskets and I charged her $90 for them. Well, she came back and she gave me a check for $125. And then she came back later on in the day and said, I need two more. These are gorgeous. 
So I made her two more so that Monday uh, she, she gave me, you know, um, gave me the check. So Monday rolls around and I bring them to her. And um, so I charge her 125 right? You figure she paid 125 for those, you know, she'll pay 125 for this set. She wrote me a check for $150. And she looked at me and said, stop underselling yourself. She said, your work is beautiful, and I can go into the grocery store, and I won't get this, but I'll pay $100 for it. So in a matter of one day, I made $275. From that point on, it was a business, and the name of the business in California was The Basket Case. That was it. The Basket Case. Yes, (laughs) yes. And I went on to do a lot of great things. You know, it was to the point to where the radio station, everybody knew who I was. And they would call, and I would do events, and everything was going great. However, my personal life started to go go crazy. And I'm like, God, what now? What? What? what is, you know, God, you're trying to get you somewhere. He'll do it by any means necessary. So I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And you thought it, that the gift basket business was what you were supposed to be doing. Yes. I'm like, hey, here we go. I, I'm about to do this, you know, and that was it. And I'm you like, know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's interesting because, you know, a lot of people you know, that know me know that what I do for a living, you know, what I do to make money, basically. And um, they say, oh, you're such a great computer guy. You know, and you know computers, and you're very smart with computers and everything. And so they're always asking me to do computer work for them. Hey, man, mm-hmm. can you fix this computer for me? Or, hey, can you do that? And I do it for them. And they're like, man, you're good. This is, your, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. But I know that what I'm supposed to be doing is part of what I'm doing right now, and that's talking to people and helping them find solutions. Right. You know, that's, that's why we named the show The Solutions. Right. <laughs> I mean, oh, hey, it's look, amazing. Look, I, I want to say, I want to tell you what uh, what our, one of our guests in the chat room is saying. She says, "Anyone can be an entre- can be entrepreneurial. You go, girl." <laughs> Amen, child. <laughs> I mean, you know, it is just amazing because, like I said, I'm the poster child. Somebody called me one day and said, "Oh my God!" Uh, when I started getting a lot of notoriety in California for my business, someone called and says, "April." You remind me of this lady I saw on Oprah Winfrey. She started to get back in business, too, and she took $10,000 from her 401K, and I immediately stopped her. I said, baby, I didn't even know what a 401K was. I didn't have family I could go borrow any money from. I said, I'm the woman that represents the, the many women that are out there that don't have anybody that can borrow money from, who credit is bad, who, you know, just have no understanding of how we're going to do this. We're single parents and we have kids we have to raise. Nobody's giving us anything. Baby, daddy ain't paying child support. So what is it that we can do? I said, I'm her. I represent that woman. I represent the woman that have been abused to the point to where, you know, her spirit is broken, a woman that has been raped and uh, had to deal with being talked about, and a woman that had to be um, felt made to be, you know, felt belittled. I'm her with low self-esteem, low self-esteem and no self-worth. I'm her. I don't remind you of nobody that had some money now because I ain't have that. So I had to make something, something from nothing. I literally had – I took – I used to make uh, – Give back is, you know, the little gourmet give back. Is, I used to have to use my food stamps to buy the stuff to, to put in there. That's how my mind was like, okay, how can I make this happen? And I was selling those baskets for like $175, and I was using my food stamps to, to, buy, to, to buy the stuff to make them. Hmm. So that's what I mean by making something from nothing. That's, when you I, go, I mean, that's it right there. <laughs> you know, it's funny you, because right. I've, I've never heard 
someone be that resourceful. Because typically what somebody, you know what, I'll tell you what I've seen. I've seen someone, if they needed to make some money, they'd take their food stamps and they'd sell them. Right. They'd take the food stamps, buy up a whole bunch of food, and then they'd turn around and say, uh, I'll sell this food to you for uh, you know, for, a le- for X amount of dollars. Because they right. buy it pretty much for free anyway. You know what? We have a caller, April, and I'd like to bring this caller in because we've been sure. chatting online for a while. Caller from the, oh, wow, this is a new area code. Are you there? Yeah, I'm calling in on Skype from, uh, this is Lauren from Montana. Hey, how you doing, Lauren? Absolutely incredible. How you doing? Good, good. You have a question for April Mason? Yeah, I do. Uh, first of all, it sounds like God has blessed you. So yes, you, yes. Uh, Congratulations on your good work here. Thank you. Thank but, you, Mark. Uh, the, yeah, the, uh, the first is uh, kind, kind of a little deeper question, you know. I, I'm, I'm really pleased to see people uh, pick themselves up by that. And, uh, but, but i got a question for you, more general in nature, uh, pertaining to all of us. What's... what's uh, Two questions, really. What's the reason we're we're all here today? Uh, maybe your past, my past, all of us. You know, we we've got a lot of challenges. How do we get to where we are? And then, uh, you know, kind of implied in the in the uh, little preview that we all have a purpose. And uh, I'm wondering, what's your answer to where we're supposed to go, and what, what's uh, what's what's mankind's purpose and things like that? Well, you know what what I what God shared with me is we're not here for ourselves. We are here for somebody else. And the thing is, everything that I went through and and everything that you'll go through, it's never really too much for you. Because the thing is, first of all, we're put on this earth for one reason and only one reason only, and that's to worship God. That's our purpose. That's what we're here for. That's what we put here for. However, if you read your Bible, you notice that God was always about you know, people and love, and, and, you know, and, and being, showing yourself friendly and, and just loving on each other. He was always had a concern with your brother. Are you your mm-hmm. brother's keeper? I believe all of our purposes have to do with, with other people. And the thing is, is, people ask me, well, how do you find your purpose? How do you find, you know, what you're, what you're supposed to be doing? The thing that you do naturally, that no, if nobody ever paid you to do, that's what you're here to do. I look at, I get phone calls from as far as the United Kingdom all the way to wherever else, you know, right across the United States about, from people saying, you know, asking questions and, and, and how do you get past this, how do you get past that. And if you notice, every question or every person that calls me, when I, I'm so, I can answer that question so well. Why? Because I had to go through all that stuff. So I had to pretty much... I had to go through all the stuff that I've been through, and the people that um, are going through that same type of thing, God has placed them in my life for me to minister to them. But I may not minister. I can't minister too much to the drug addict or to the person that may want to commit suicide. You know, I mean, just very suicidal or or or, you know, some have some other issue. I speak to the one, my my uh, the people that God has put me in, in charge of, or I don't even charge. My my mission is. 
to empower those that have felt like they were less than, that people that were put in situations by, you know, by no means of their, themselves, from uh, women, even men that have been violated, that have felt low, that have had no self-esteem, that, that feel like they can't. God had to use me and, and, and take me through everything he took me through to show you that he can. And the thing is that I love is the fact that I'm 32 years old and I can stand here and say that if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be here. So now my, uh, my mandate is, April, all right, I took you through a lot of things, and you're here. My, your purpose is to show my people that they can, you, to empower my people to let them know they, they don't have to think about their past. They don't have to think about the stupid stuff that they have done. But all they have to do is trust me, and everything else will be okay. But we're not here for ourselves. We don't go through stuff for ourselves. And it's like everybody, it's like a magnet. The people that are drawn to me, it's like a magnet. Uh, because they're, they're drawn to me by, by the same situations, similar situations that I had, I'm able to minister to them all day, and I enjoy doing it. I get excited when I get the phone call from the woman that says, you know what, April, I started my business, girl, and I did this and that and the other, and I got my first client. That I rejoice when I hear that. Or when I hear the, the, the man that calls and says, man, sis, you know what, if, I, if you wouldn't have told me this, I would have never known that I could do this because everybody told me that I couldn't. So me growing up with not knowing that uh, with the mindset that I can't, that just programmed, that, that gave me more fight to say that I can. So now it's, it's my job to empower others to, you know, to put in part into them that they can too. Because like I said, I come from the, you know, the bottom of the barrel. I didn't have anything. So making something from nothing, and just like with Moses, Moses had a staff in his hand, but he didn't understand what he had in his hand. And I used to ask out, what is it, what is it? And he says, what's in your hand? It's like all my doors um, were closed. That uh, normal, normal people use, I can't say normal people, normal people use those doors were closed. And God had placed me in a position to where he forced me to think. I've been a thinker ever since I can remember. So it forced me to always have to think. And it's like I, when I do my seminars and my workshops, I tell people, think about what it is you have in your hand. Look at what you have, not just look at it. Don't just see it. I need you to, just, I need you to really sit there and meditate on what it is that you have. Point out to your, your strengths and weaknesses, and you go from there. But anything that if you enjoy helping people, you know, that's a God-given gift. If you enjoy, you know, speaking, if you enjoy, you know, just being a, you're a natural giver like myself, you, you give so much, that's, that's a God-given thing. And well, how, do you, how do you, April, how do you minister? Are you a, uh, a church minister or a uh, minister of Christian faith? <laughs> you, you're what? I'm across the board. I don't just minister in churches. We're ministering now. Right. So I don't just, I don't just minister in churches or I'm um, in the pulpit because um you know God has called me to something else you know I do I I do teach and I teach however um He has me in in there with with the people you know people that you know the work is outside of the four walls so He has me out there you know with people that may not go to church that may not even know who He is however mm-hmm. when they hear see where I am and see what God has done for me and they hear me speak upon Him that way. It's like, well, if she, you know, can go through all this, and that man Jesus, you know, hooked her up, you know, then let me find out a little bit more about that. So I don't necessarily have to be at at a church. Well, boy, I sure hope I can speak as fast as you do one of these days. (laughs) I thought, you know what, I I had to learn, and that's another thing that I had to learn, because when you were growing up, when you were a mover and a shaker and you are hustling trying to get over, you learn to speak fast. And I was like, okay, I'm going to say, April, slow down. 
Slow it down. I'm going to cut in right quick. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Abundant Solutions Hour, and we have with us guest. Our guest is April Mason. April, tell us about the business that you're into now. Sure. Um, in, in, in all God given, and the give back me, business that I was talking about. Let me caller for calling in. And yes. Let me say that I appreciate your questions and your comments. Thank you very much. Well, the get back to business that I started, what's amazing is how God positioned you. When I started working for the wine company, I was a commercial credit manager um, over there. So I learned all about um, how corporate credit worked, how business credit worked. I learned, you know, what, you know, what to look for. So I, I noticed I, that I was, you know, denying a lot of applications because people wouldn't, were pre-qualifying themselves. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. So when I moved to Atlanta, you know, it hit me. You know, the thing is, and I'll tell all the entrepreneur or aspiring entrepreneurs, if you don't know what to, what field you want to be in, first of all, look and see what you have a natural gift at. And secondly, solve a problem. When you can solve a problem, you got yourself a business when you can solve a problem. So I looked at it, and I'm like, man, everything that, you know, the people that the company that I work for, they did it on business credit. And I used to see, I used to, apply, you know, approve credit, deny credit, pull business credit reports. So that gave me an idea. I saw, I, I did my research and saw so many businesses were going under because of the lack of financing. And I said, hmm, what I see here on this job, they don't use their money. They use corporate credit. So, and I, I poked around in it, and, and I said, this is amazing. This is something that on a whole other level that most entrepreneurs don't know even exists. Well, what I did was when I moved to Atlanta, I started a company which assists businesses, churches, and ministries with establishing corporate credit without the use of personal credit. And when I tell you, when I started this business, boy, I wasn't expecting for it to take off the way that it did. And like I said, I thought the give baskets was my thing. No, the give baskets was just to, to get me, you know, to somewhere else. I still enjoy doing it, and I even went on to open up a retail store here in Atlanta in 2004 where you can come in and get your gift baskets made while you wait. So, you know, that was just another um, stream of income, another resource. It was something bigger. And I took, I made my company, Business Financial Solutions, and we go around the United States and we teach conferences, workshops. We even have um, corporate, I mean, excuse me, um, private coaching packages where we assist you with building your personal credit, your business credit, I'm sorry. Um, and with that, there gives you no excuse. So for anybody that's out there that say, well, man, I ain't got no money, my credit is bad, and, and you know, I, I barely make enough money to pay my bills at home, let alone to um, you know, start a business, the devil is a lie. There is corporate credit. There are credit cards out there that you can get for your business. Most businesses are service businesses, meaning they don't require a lot of startup capital. So you can get credit cards from any store, probably any store that you go into, Nine times out of ten, they have corporate credit. And you can get it without using your personal credit because you're going based upon the credit worthiness of your business. So don't let not having or the lack of knowledge stop you from making your vision a reality. And that's our slogan, you know, making business reality with business credit. And we help so many people, and, and I, this is something that I enjoy. This is my passion. I enjoy you know, getting the phone calls, April, I needed a computer, and they gave me, this company gave me $10,000, you know, to buy the computers that I need because I'm a filmmaker, and, and I get the phone calls on a regular basis, and that, that it brings me joy. That keeps me, you know, going. So that's what I do now full-time. I haven't worked at a corporate job in I don't know how long, um, but that's what I do full-time. Um, that's what pays the bills and, you know, 
my daughter and I, we have a, com- um, a company that we're starting. She's only 13, but she's an entrepreneur as well. So when we do speaking engagements, you'll hear me and then you'll hear my daughter because she started her own business. Um, that matter of fact, that Easter, she took everything out of her Easter basket that I made that year and put a bo- put 50 cents, a dollar, um, 25 cents on it and sold all her Easter candy. So from that point on, she was seven at the time. She's now, you know, she's been an entrepreneur since then. So it can be done, Brian. Yes. If you want it. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. You know, it, it's it's just amazing because you know when I when I think about what you've what you've done, you created this business. You know, your business financial solutions, your company was created basically off a of thought. Hey. Yep. Yep. You know, look at all these people that are going under. Why are they going under? Don't have to. You know, a lot of times when we ask ourselves that type of question, we already know the answer. People are scared, Brian. That's and the whole thing is, people are people always tell me, um, you, you just do anything. Because my family, how I got people, somebody asked me the other day, I was doing a radio show, how did you get, why did you choose Atlanta? I said, I didn't choose Atlanta, Atlanta chose me. And the thing is, I came to Atlanta with three kids, $300 on a suspended license, and, dro- and I drove a 1990 Chrysler LeBaron. It's how I got here, on faith. So the thing is, I could let the enemy try to stop me and say, you know what, two days before I was to leave, I'm sitting there like I found out my license was suspended. And, you know, God, he has a way of sending somebody. And my, my license, found out my license was suspended. Then right the next day, my, my battery went out in my car. So my next door neighbor had a guy come by and jump it, um, the tow truck guy. Well, as he's a nice guy, remind me of Santa Claus. And he was talking and he said, hey, sis, sweetheart, pick a car, any car. And I said, I don't play cards. He said, just pick a card. And when I picked that card, I read it. He said, read it out loud. And that card says, faith is the, thing, uh, the, uh, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And at that point, I was so at peace. God was like, are you going to trust me? And the next day, I drove from Oakland, California to Atlanta, Georgia, with $300 in my pocket, and a set of keys to a house that was supposed to be there. I wasn't sure if it was there. And that was it. And that's how I got here. And Tell from us that about that, on, because, I mean, I know the story, but that's just, that was just amazing about that particular story. Right. Right. And, and you, never, you never know. And, and, and I believe that guy was an angel because 30 seconds, not even 30 seconds from the time I told my Miss Blackwell, my neighbor, I told her thank you. I turned around. He, he had disappeared, like, and just vanished into thin air. And honestly, I believe that I was entertaining an angel because he just vanished. And there's no way he could have vanished that quick. And I'm looking down the street, and, and before you, the street was a long street, so you couldn't have got to the stop sign that quick. So, you know, you have to want it. You have to be hungry for it. You can't, you can't you're fighting for your destiny. You can't pity-pat with it. It's not a game. It's not something that, okay, well, it'll happen. No, you have to make it happen. You are in control of your own destiny. The thing is, God puts it in you, but what are you going to do with it? What's in your hand? What do you have? You know, we, we can move and shake. You know, we have faith in everything else. We have faith that when we get in our car that we're not going to get in a car accident. We have faith that when we send our children to school that, you know, nobody's going to blow it up. Why can't we have faith in the one that created us? Period. 
So I've had to struggle. I've had to. I had to get on my knees and, and grind. I've, I've lived in the shelters. I've, li- I've lived in transitional homes. I've been abused. I, I don't been through it all. Anything you probably put a checklist together. Oh yeah, I can check some of all that off, and say yeah, I've been there. However, it was a choice. So I don't want to hear another person say or make an excuse why they can't. My kids are not even allowed to say I can't. That's not even it. Don't tell me what you can't do. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you have to you have to want it, but just know I'm not going. I'm going to let you know also that it's not going to be easy. It's not if it don't work and you know God has given it to you and it starts to look like the enemy fighting because you have to remember when God gives it to you, oh the enemy going to fight you at it to to make you say you know what forget it. this must not be what it is. But no, you have to stand anyway and keep pushing and it's like you it's like you a baby in the birth canal you know you you fighting the baby be fighting to get fighting to get out because anybody that know about having children sometimes the doctor tells you you can't push and he can't pull so that baby got to fight its way out that's literally what we're doing at this point so don't think because it don't come easy that's not that's not it you are literally fighting for your destiny it's a fight and just put on your boxing gloves and get ready yeah yeah Wow, you know, and um, wow, it's amazing just how most people will think that their situation that they're in is a no-win situation, and I just love how you took a a basically a dead-end situation and you found, you, you didn't even find like an open door, you found like a crack door. Right, I kind of tell people I come to the back door all the time. You know, <laughs> it's like somebody was peeking through the door, and you saw them peeking through, and mm-hmm. bam. <laughs> You're like, hold that door, hold that door. <laughs> I have, um, I have Lauren. He's still on the um, on the chat. He wants mm-hmm. to know. He said, "Ask her for me how she made this marvelous transition. What was your turning point? The key when the light came on." The light came on is when my my um the, the guy that I was dating ran my face into the wall to where you wouldn't recognize my face. Wow. That was the turning point where I said, I have to do better. I, I can't allow anybody to treat me this way. I have to do better. And it was like it's this poverty demon over my family. And everybody seemed to, you know, not have a lot and always going through. And I said, I refuse to be broke. I refuse. And people, look, it, it was made to seem like if you uh, had money, you know, that was against, you know, you, you ain't suffering, so you ain't close to Jesus. I said, the devil is a lie. I said, show me in the Bible where I say Jesus was broke. I, well, you know that he didn't have, he was born in a manger. And the Bible didn't say he was born in the major because he was broke. The Bible said there was no room at the doggone end. They just couldn't get in. And I said, and how are you going to show, tell me that my father was broke and he, he wants us to be broke when the wise men came and they brought a plethora of stuff, you know, frankincense, merch, gold, and all this other. He was born into riches. So what makes if my father has these things? If my father, the, the Bible says, it is he that gives us power to get wealth and do the romany. He wants us to be prophets. However, I will say this: there is a disclaimer and a prerequisite. You have to be one of his in order to get to be abundant. So, so for those, this ain't for those that, that ain't trying to, to 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 live a godly life. Now, you can't take his scripture and try to apply it to your life, but yet you ain't accepting him. So that's the prerequisite to it. But that's not a hard thing to do. It's all about believing. So I was made to believe, you know, that, you know, poverty, that's what it is. And I was like, man, it's got to be better than this because I see those that are um, in the world doing better than I am, but I'm supposed to be one of God's children, and I'm doing that. The devil is alive. 
show me where it told me my Jesus, my God was broke. Nowhere. You're not going to find it. Well, he did. He was a carpenter. I said, you have to realize Jesus was a carpenter and everything else he did. He had to do those things just so he, he could say, God can say, there's nothing new under the sun. He's been tempted. He's done everything that you, us, we've done. So there's nothing else. There's nothing new under the sun. He did not be no carpenter. If he can tell if he can tell the man to go ahead and look in the fish mouth and get the money to pay the taxes and pay mine too, he can just do whatever he wanted to do. So if he's my father and I'm claiming him as my daddy and I'm a child of a king, king's kids ain't broke. King's kids have self-esteem. King's, kid, king's kids have self-worth. King's kids don't live by the same set of rules as everybody else. Okay, all right. You know, we have about, uh, let's see, we got about four minutes left. And you know what happens when the music comes on. <laughs> yes. So um, I want to just basically talk about just briefly, well, actually, in the, in the few minutes that we have left, I want you to tell us about some of the things you have coming up and some of the things, uh, tell us about your book and give us some contact information. How sure. can we get in contact with you? Like, you know, I just remembered that uh, my brother called me earlier today. And he talked mm-hmm. about starting a business. And my brother's every every other month I talk to my brother, he wants to start a business. Right. But his big thing is he's like, you know, we don't have any money, but we can pull equity out of our house. We can uh-uh, this. stop that. <laughs> and I thought I said, you know what? I got April on the show tonight. Right, right, right. And so wow. you know, that was one of the things I said, you know, I'm going to definitely get with you on that because I know my brother, he's like, man, I'm tired, you know, because my brother's a law enforcement officer, and he works 70, 80 hours a week at a time. And he he's tired. And Peter to pay Paul, you know. And so it's like he's he's trying to find a way out of the, I got to break my neck just to enjoy the stuff I can't enjoy because I'm out breaking my neck. <laughs> right. Right. Well, my thing is um, we're getting ready to um, – First of all, for anybody who wants to reach me, you can reach me at either AprilEMason.com or give you my long business email, my long business <laughs> website. It's B as in boy, dash, F as in Frank, dash, S as in Sam, dash, online.com. Or you can email me at info at AprilEMason.com. Um, and AprilEMason.com also has a link to the business website. Um, as well. We have a lot of wonderful things going on um, this upcoming year. And actually, Brian, the second edition to our book, Your Guide to Successfully Building Business Credit, which I wrote um, last year, it, it shows you step-by-step information on how to build business credit. So there's no excuses. Um, right. We're getting ready to do the second edition in February, Marchish, And God has blessed us. We're getting ready to do uh, our first Business Credit Secrets Revealed DVD and I just got the phone call today. Uh, we're, um, I, the contract is in motion. We're getting ready to do a infomercial. So you wow. can tune in and, and see our commercials as well as infomercials all over this country um, advertising, you know, the DVD <laughs> in, in our products. So God is really doing things. I have a lot of, you know, as far as speaking engagements, a lot of conferences coming up, women's conferences, business conferences, you know, ministry stuff as well, too, coming up. But God is, is really, 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 really doing something, and I'm just I'm going along for the ride. Hey, well, that is awesome. You know, April, as always, we are so glad that, to hear you. 
you know, we're glad when you come on the show and talk with us. We, you know, like we said, we had you on before, and we'll definitely have to get you on again when that book comes out. Because yeah. I want to get the word out on the book. You got to definitely send me the information when you when it's published and when it's ready, so we right. can get the word out. Right, and look at you guys, the title of the book, my personal book is called Broken But Not Bound, The Making of Me. So look out for that, and it tells my personal story a lot more in-depth on some of the things I was talking about tonight and a whole bunch of other stuff. So you wow, ain't going to want to miss that. keep up with you. <laughs> yes. All right. <laughs> Broken But Not Bound, The Making of Me. Mm-hmm. That's the personal book. Yes. Business Financial Solutions is the company. Right. AprilEMason.com. Look her up, hit her up, get your businesses on track. Right, and I'm a MySpacer too. <laughs> All right, and you'll find her on MySpace as well. Right. All right, listen, we are running out of time here. Just want to thank everybody for listening in tonight to the Abundant Solutions Hour. And April, we definitely thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me, Brian. And Greg, I love you even though you're not here tonight. All right. Take care. All right. Tune in Monday for the Abundant Solutions Hour. Thank you and good evening.